Hello and welcome to the Practice Rule Podcast episode 30. Today, we're looking at the Aussies going up 2-0 in the Ashes, beating England convincingly once again at the Adelaide Oval. Then we look to how Joe Root is under the hammer with critics coming after the England skipper. Then we look forward to the third test of the Ashes at the MCG on Boxing Day. And we finish it off talking about Brandon Smith inking with the Roosters. Shout out to Centro for providing that killing intro. And as always, a couple days out from Christmas this time, introducing my good mate, Blaze McKee. Blaze, hell of an Ashes series you're seeing so far by the Aussies. What have you liked so far? Yeah, the Adelaide Test, I think we spoke about it last week. It's a pretty amazing spectacle. And, and you know, you see some of those scenes with, with the sun setting and some really great scenes. When you come home from work, it's nice to just have it put on and, and sit down on the couch and watch a bit of cricket. Yeah, the Adelaide Test definitely is my favourite test on the calendar because of that kind of thing. Like, even just seemed to work perfectly with my work. You know, you finish at three and then on the train ride home and the rest of the night you've got the cricket to watch. Um, but let's move on to the first topic. As I said, we'll be looking at this Adelaide test. And, and as I said, Australia winning convincingly by 275 runs. Like, that's pretty pretty insane. What do you think when you see that number and and look at the way that Australia played the game? I think Australia played really well. And, and obviously, from an Australian perspective, you know, it's really good to see and, and we want to see Australia win. From maybe a bit more of a neutral perspective, you know, you'd want to see a bit of a closer game. And, yeah. and I think there's been a bit of commentary around, you know, the need to have some closer closer Ashes series to make it more exciting. And, you know, obviously Test cricket's always under a bit of pressure these days. So I guess those neutral perspectives would like to see a closer Test match. But from the Australian perspective, you know, they've played really well. And, and you know, they set it up with a really big first innings, 473 runs. Labashain got 100 Warner and Smith will be disappointed, dismissed in the 90s, but they set up, set up a huge game there. And, and, you know, when you score over 450 in your first inning, it's, it's very hard to lose the test match. The For Smith, yeah, 93, he'll be disappointed. I think Warner, disappointed, isn't the word for that. Like, it's it's something more. But David Warner, that's that was one of the more experienced innings I've seen him play like England were bowling that back of a length making sure that they just didn't leak runs and it put a lot of pressure on Warner and Labashain after Harris got out early and they weathered the storm and then to get out there and just get out put to a poor shot like it, it would be heartbreaking happy that Labashain went on to do it was dismissed you know quickly after raising the bat but for Warner, that's twice now in the series that he's gone down the 90s. Uh, very, very disappointing for him, but great signs. It means, like, if he scores 100, he'll be right up there for, you know, player of the series if he keeps going at this rate, you know. So really happy for David Warner, and he's obviously coming off the back of a of a player of the tournament in the T20 World Cup victory for the Aussies. But besides that first day, and even to an extent that first day wasn't great for England, but... Their bowlers just struggled. Seemed to be at times trying to keep it too tight, but still bowling back up a length. So if they just missed their line a little bit, the Aussies were on to them straight away. They left Wood out. Now, I know you want to talk talk about this because off-air you were talking about how you were scratching your head at this de- at this decision, but it did look like they struggled for pace without him. 
Yeah, Mark Wood, obviously, you know, he maybe didn't have as strong a test match he wanted at the Gabba, but he still brings something different to that England attack. He bowls with some pace and has some venom, and, you know, without him, you know, Robinson, Broad, and Anderson are all around the 130k mark, and, you know, maybe they bought in too much to the pink ball narrative and thought it was just going to swing all the time and those bowlers were going to be really suited to it, but, you know, I heard Ricky Ponting talk during the broadcast about... You know, those first two sessions in Adelaide are actually really good to bat in. It's only really that third session where it becomes quite difficult. And and they were very samey. As you say, they, they took a pretty defensive approach back of a length. But once the once the batsmen got in, and as we saw with Warner and Labashane, they were, they were really able to get themselves set for beginnings because the bowlers were pretty similar. And it also forced, you know, a guy like Ben Stokes to bowl a lot of overs. He bowled 25 in the first innings, and he was forced to be the real aggressor, bowling short. And, you know, you don't really want your all-rounder bowling that many, particularly when, you know, their batting is struggling and, and he's got so much responsibility with the bat as well. But I also think even to take that role on bowl overs, bowl this aggressive short line, short pitch bowling hurts more than it does with pitching it up because you're putting a lot more energy into banging it into the wicket, a lot more force in the delivery, and you kind of got to move your body a little bit differently when you go into the action of bowling it. Stokes is now two games back from six months off. You know what I mean? Like, that's a big effort from him. He's got the big lift, um, but like... It's too, I feel like that's just so unreasonable to ask Ben Stokes, oh yeah, I know you've been out for ages, uh, but can you come back and do like the hardest work that anyone out here on the field has to do? I thought that was interesting. Um, but before we move on to some of the other points in the second test, I want to talk about spin bowling. Ollie Robinson came in, had to bowl some spinovers because of Joe Root being injured. What did you make of this there? They're kind of in all sorts. And I saw it was, you know, one of the first times in about 100 years that a team has had seven different wicket takers in a game. Yeah, pretty, again, probably sums up where the English out left. Jack yeah. Leach out of the side. And then Joe Root also had to bowl a lot of overs. And there actually was a bit of turn, you know, probably more so yeah. than there was in Brisbane. Uh, David Milan also had to bowl some overs. Yeah. And, and it probably reflects, you know, when you look at the wickets, particularly in that second innings for Australia, a lot of them were... You know, long hops are uh, caught towards the boundary, and that was probably a sign that they had some part-timers on. You know, Root took a few, Milan took a few. Robinson, he was okay. You know, he wasn't horrible, but, yeah. you know, it's not what you want to be seeing, and it's a pretty, you know, pretty village kind of look to have uh, <laughs> your big fast bowler with the with the sunnies on and, and rolling the arm over some yeah. yeah, no, it was a very interesting look, but, you know, there was a bit of extra bounce in that pitch for the spinners like Nathan Lyon tore up I think he was a bit unlucky at times um, especially in that on that last day like how many LBW shouts did he have you know Bassman couldn't really pick him um, Joss Butler bit of an up and down test match for him a couple of drop catches a couple of absolute screamers behind the stumps and then what was looking to be one of the great innings in Ashes cricket of you know, keeping Australia, you know, from winning the game, trying to force a draw. He bats with 206 deliveries, and on the 207th, he steps on his stumps. His pad nicks the off stump. What did you think watching that live? That was one of those ones where, you know, there could be a bit of history there, and that yeah. could be one of the innings that's talked about for time time to come. But then, unfortunately, as you said, 
you know, ended in, in a bizarre way. You very rarely see that. I think he was getting pretty deep in his crease throughout the whole innings just to, you know, negate some of that, that extra pace that the Aussies were bringing. But, again, it just probably sums up where the English are at. And, you know, I guess you could say when it's not when it's not your day, it's not your day, and, and these sort of things happen. But that was pretty unfortunate. And, and, you know, I guess it was a bad way to end because that innings is probably going to be forgotten now. And, and yeah. you know, it continues Butler's up and down kind of series, as you say. He I think he's dropped five catches behind yeah. the stumps. And, you know, all that hard work to get out like that is pretty, pretty disappointing. Yeah, 7 out of 12 catches he's taken. Alex Carey is 10 out of 10, but I would say 10 out of 11 from that thick edge that went through him and Warner. That was his catch, so probably got to react a little bit better than that. Now, Jai Richardson took 5 for 42 in that second innings uh, to win the Aussies the game. But how about this? Jai has gotten Joss Butler out twice, hit, hit wicket. How about that? Do you think he's got something over... Joss Butler in that where Joss just can't help but hit his own stumps. Yeah, I think it just shows the pace that that uh, Richardson's really bowling at. He's forcing those guys deep in their crease, and I think all the all the batsmen, you know, were really struggling with his pace and bounce, and that's something that he brings. You know, he's quite a short guy, but he brings a lot of energy and venom into into his bowling, and I think all the English batsmen were struggling with that. Whether it be Richardson or Stark, I think Stark did quite well in this Adelaide Test match oh, as well. Oh, was Yeah. So. I think that's just the real difference. We spoke about England lacking that, that pace with their attack and Australia definitely do not lack that pace. And that's something that touring sides have been struggling with for, for years to come and have been will continue to, I guess, in this series. So it'd be interesting to see if Richardson keeps his place for the next test. I guess we'll, we'll talk about that later, but he was really impressive. Well, we'll move on to the next topic, which is about Joe Root and how he is under the hammer by... A lot of former cricketers from both countries uh, criticising the English captain. Now, Root spoke post-day five in his press conference and basically admitted that the side is bowling too short. And I've got to get these quotes up. Now, basically, this is what he said. I don't think we bowled the right lengths. If we're being brutally honest, we needed to bowl fuller. As soon as we did it in the second innings, we created chances. We need to do that more. We need to be a bit braver. That's one of the most frustrating things because it's something we did four years ago and got it wrong and we didn't learn from it. We made the same mistake last week in Brisbane. We just have to be better and we've got to learn these lessons very quickly. Now, isn't it a little bit surprising that it's taken him... You know, nine days of cricket here in Australia. He's played a couple of other tours as well to Australia. And he still hasn't learned as a skipper to like to execute the bowling plans. Now, I'm a little bit confused as to whether it's actually, you know, Joe Root's fault or whether it's their bowling plan for the series, whether they have this grand plan that they think is going to work. It obviously has gone downhill very fast two games in they've they've been horrible with the ball you could really make a good case that they have um what do you make of joe root coming out and saying this and 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 a lot of former cricketers reacting to it yeah it's definitely interesting and i think as he mentioned there it's probably an issue they have every every time they come here and you know they're used to the english conditions where you can bowl a bit shorter and, and get some more reward but 
you know, again, they probably fell, you know, that first session they bowled really tight and they did bowl that little back of a length. But then as as I think the wicket flattened out, you had to pitch it up a bit more and go for the wickets. Ultimately, you know, to win a test match, you've got to take 20 wickets. And they, I think, at no point looked like they were going to take 20 wickets. The criticism on Joe Root's a real interesting one. I think captaincy in cricket's a real tough one, particularly for Joe Root where their team is really struggling and he has so much responsibility with the bat. But also, with the ball, they've got so much experience. You know, Stuart Broad and James Anderson have got over 300 test matches between them. And I think they're known to be two of, you know, they're, they've got a bit of an ego about them. And, and, you know, you would expect, I guess, those three to work together a bit more. It seems a bit like Joe Root is trying to instruct them sometimes and, and Stuart Broad and James Anson can sometimes be on their own page a little bit and you know they can lack a bit of energy or they they don't really follow instructions too well so I do think you know it's a bit of column A bit of column B in terms of whether it's Joe Root to blame or whether it's his team because ultimately he can give all these instructions but it's up to the players as well to go out and execute those plans as well so it is a real interesting debate and I think cricket captaincy is one of those ones that you know, when you're losing, I think the captain is always going to come under under the pressure a little bit. And I think Joe Root probably has been a bit poor this series. But then, you know, so have the England's team in general. But it's surely like they were iffy about coming here, right? And now they're here. And, it's, and I'm just trying to think like surely if you come into a place that you didn't really want to come because of COVID... You've, you know, you've had to isolate. You've had to do all these things when you go to your different different venues in the different states. And you continue to pour in poor performances. Like, that's just killer. Surely, you you desperately want to win. Like, I'm expecting Joe Root before Boxing Day to really have, like, a chat with Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson and be like, this is my team. It's not your team. I'm the one that gets to cop all of this. The, this is the plan for the next test. These are the areas you bowl. If you do not bowl in these areas, I'm taking you off. Unfortunately, sometimes in test cricket, because it's long days, it's hard to avoid bowling a bowler. Like it's Because then that just means your other bowlers have to bowl extra overs. Then they could you know, get fatigue injuries like a hamstring strain or something. And then they're gone for the next test. So there's a lot of pressure on Joe Root and I understand that but at the same time like a little bit strange to come out and admit all this kind of stuff surely be trying to you know keep it all like back room and and not address it to the media but one person who has particularly gone after him is Ricky Ponting he's led the criticism explaining that he was shocked almost fell off his seat he said when he heard Root's admission um I'll just get what he said up here as well i nearly fell off my seat when i heard that whose job is it then to make them change why are you captain then if you can't influence your bowlers on what length to bowl what are you doing on the field a little bit harsh there from from punter i don't know i think ricky ponting's probably you know he's probably pretty well placed to talk about it. he obviously captain australia for a long period of time and during his time they obviously had a great bowling attack but he also had some pretty big you know egos in that side yeah. You know, Shane Warne, obviously a leg spinner, but, you know, still had to deal with him in the bowling group. Can I just continue on that point? It shows how much success covers over mm. cracks in the team. Like, if Australia losing and Shane Warne's being Shane Warne, it would be addressed like this, and then Ricky would be, you know, 
you know, facing the brunt of it. But that's where, you know, that's where it comes back to you talking about a little bit of column A, column B. It's not not entirely on the bowlers, a little bit of their top order batting. But I'll let you continue. But I think I think the point that Ricky's making there is, and as you touched on earlier, is, you know, you've got to just have your plan set and, and then go with that. I think yeah. the problem at the moment is England are, you know, chopping and changing between this plan, this plan. They're bringing in different bowlers for different tests and then, they're coming out in the media saying, well, we tried all this and, and it was all wrong. So it's one of those ones where I think they've just got to get a plan and, and stick with it. And, you know, it might not work, but at least if they're being consistent and they can look together and have a bit more unity, one, you know, it looks like they're more of a team and, and it gives a bit more of a presence about them. But also, you know, they can say at the end of the series, hey, at least we stuck to our plans and we did what we thought would work. Maybe it doesn't work, but... You know, at the moment, I think they're just chopping and changing a bit too much and, and everyone's singing from a different hymn sheet, I think. But what I'm confused about is in any 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 level of cricket, a full line is your best chance of taking wickets because you're bringing in all modes of dismissal. You're bringing in the edge, obviously caught if the batsman you know, gets frustrated at that full length, LBW bowled. You're bringing it all into the equation. So why are you bowling back of a length? Why is that a plan? Why does Jimmy Anderson shoot board want to bowl that length? You know, they have, as you said, like 300 plus test games between the two of them. They're probably getting close to a thousand wickets. If not, they've probably eclipsed that by now between the two of them. How do you take that many wickets and not know that a full line is how you get wickets? I've played zero test matches. I've played a lot of senior cricket which is means nothing and even i know that a full line is how you that's how you frustrate batsmen that's how you bring in almost a dismissal so even if that is the bowling plan that they're trying to execute or he's basically just trying to say we this was the plan for the last two games and it didn't work whereas like some people even myself i kind of interpret it as the bowlers are bowling back in length that's not actually the game plan um it still makes zero sense as to why that would happen. If you play in England with that late swing, a fuller length is so much better than a shorter length. Same in Australia, same in South Africa, um, you know, same in India. You know, It really doesn't matter where you're playing. I feel like that's the length that you should be bowling. Um, so let's hope but not hope that England can get it right because obviously you still want Australia to win 5-0. But you, you, I do want to see some tighter contests. You know, It's been still fun to watch, but... You know, there's only so much, you know, um, destruction you can see one team do to another until it gets a little bit plain. So, yeah, so we'll move on to looking forward to the MCG. Now, third test starts on Sunday here, Boxing Day. Can't wait. Um, unfortunately for the two of us, we will be working, so we'll have to watch it after. Um England drew there in 2017 and won in 2010. Uh, skipper Pat Cummins expected to be back, likely for Michael Neeson to make way, but Hazelwood hasn't been much spoken about him. What are you thinking the changes the Aussies will make for the Boxing Day Test match? I think if Hazelwood's fit, he'll obviously be back in and Richardson will drop out. I think, you know, Nessa also is pretty good, but I think, you know, Cummins will be back and out of Richardson and Nessa, Nessa will, will definitely drop out first there, but... You know, Hazelwood, if he's back, he'll be in. I think, you know, England will hopefully take a bit of confidence in that they have had a bit of success at the MCG in the past. Obviously, they're just going to have to try to swipe these those last two tests from their mind and start yeah. again now. So, 
it's going to be really interesting to see what the MCG brings. I think there's been a fair bit of criticism there in the past about the wickets. Obviously, that 2017 draw was pretty memorable in that, you know, the wicket really did nothing. Alistair Cook, I think, hit a double hundred and yeah. and nothing really happened in the game. It, it has improved a bit the f- past few years. Obviously, the Indian series, there was the pitch was better there and, and the Black Cap series, the pitch was better there. So hopefully we get a bit of, you know, a bit of action out of the MCG pitch. Otherwise, it could be a pretty boring five days. But yeah, hopefully it's going to be a bit more exciting. I think, as you said, it's good to see some destruction. But the problem with these test matches at the moment is... It's exciting maybe up to day three, but then, you know, really that's that second innings, England's second innings in particular is they're chasing 500 and there's not much hope there. So it's made those last two days pretty boring. I don't know if you're the same, but it feels exciting up until Joe Root gets out in the second innings because, like, although Joe Root has, you know, historically struggled in Australia, um... He's still, you know, in the top five best batsmen in the world statistically. So if he's on, he's on. Doesn't matter where in the world. Um, so you still feel like there's a chance if he's hanging around. Um, but as soon as he gets out, like even we were talking about it before we went on air, day four, you know, nicks off, last ball of the day. Um, you know, you just felt like, oh, sweet. Australia going to roll over them. Six wickets tomorrow, that's easy. And we don't have to get out Joe Root. Um, but I think for Australia, it's, you know, just the perfect scenario. You've got two, you, you know, arguably your two best pace bowlers sidelined, so they'll be kind of well-rested. Obviously, Hazelwood's got a bit of an injury, so I uh, don't know, like, how, you know, how he'll be feeling. Um, but to drop Nessa and Richardson after having a really solid game and bringing in two better bowlers, that's, that's a dream scenario. Um, but Australia have also announced the rest of the squad uh, sorry, the squad for the rest of the series, unchanged. What did you think about that? Do you think they were maybe going to bring in someone else, maybe maybe Tim Payne for the Hobart test, bring him into the squad? I think there was a bit of chat, obviously, around particularly Marcus Harris is really struggling at the yeah. top of the order, but I think, you know, they're winning. They're not going to change their squad. I think, obviously, there's still a possibility that Kawaja could come in for Harris, but I think we've seen in the past, and it's fair enough, when you're winning tests... As well as they're winning at the moment, you you keep that that settled lineup together, and you know barring injury or, or COVID situations as we had with Pat Cummins, I expect that eleven to be pretty similar, and I think Harris will will keep his spot at the top of the order despite probably struggling. Now, I tried to get you to predict the English side before the Gabba test, and I'm going to ask you again before the Boxing Day test: Where do England go from here? What changes do they make ahead of the third test? For me, they've got to make some changes. You know, I think I look at their batting. Their batting's really struggled, and and their their reserve batsman Zach Crawley's a, a young guy who hasn't really taken his opportunities when he's had him. He's been in and out of the the Test side, but I think there's no real option there. I think he's probably got to come in at the top, and I'd probably drop Rory Burns. He yeah. was okay in the second innings, but you know he's he only got twenty, and other than that, he's really struggled. And even in that that innings he did really struggle and I just don't think it's going to get any better for him so I'd bring in Crawley at the top again he's he's not completely solid but you've got to try something I think at 2-0 down I think Johnny Bairstow they'd also look at him in, in the middle order probably for Ollie Pope again yeah. a, a young guy with I think a huge amount of talent huge amount of wraps obviously got a really nice technique but 
you know, has really struggled and he's had so many opportunities this series to, to take. You know, he's come in with his team struggling. If he could have put a big, in, big innings together, he'd probably locked himself in. But I think they'd look for Bairstow, a bit more experience and, you know, a bit more of a, a dasher, maybe someone who's not as worried about what's going on around him and, and can just, you know, get you off to a bit of a flyer and, and see how that goes. I think in the bowling department, Mark Wood will, will come back in for yeah, someone. Yeah, okay. I'd probably Who do you think's making way, Ollie Robinson? Probably look at Ollie Robinson. Obviously, it depends. I think Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad will be there depending on how they pull up. Obviously, Anderson in particular, you know, might be a little bit sore. So I think Mark Wood will come in. Whether they bring Jack Leach back, probably not for Melbourne. Maybe they look at that for Sydney. Yeah. Um, and then there's even been some talk around bringing some guys from the BBL in. They've got a lot of English players. Um, Sakiba Mood has played one game for the Thunder and took four for four for nine in his opening spell, and I think he right. finished with about four for twenty. Yeah, another guy that bowls with real heat, one forty plus. I think that would be a bit of a, you know, a bit of a long shot from England. But you know, if they're really struggling, maybe they can do that. Will he come in for Melbourne? Probably not. But if they go down three nil, maybe he'll come in for Sydney and and for the later yeah. games because. As I said, at 2-0 down, you really need to make some changes and and give it, you know, a real crack to, to I guess, salvage something from the series. Yeah, I probably wouldn't bring it in, um, bring him in for Melbourne, but definitely Sydney. I think they've got to bring, you know, even Australia sometimes bring in one, two spinners. Um, but we'll move on to the final topic. Uh, Brandon Smith has finally signed with another club and it's been very uh made very public about it uh he signed with the roosters what a surprise one of nrl's worst kept secrets he's signing a three-year deal starting from next season so 2023 he'll play for the storm this year now obviously it was known that smith wanted to play number nine jake friend retiring no one at the roosters really solidifying that number nine role after friend it kind of made sense for him to go there. Um, obviously, I was in the camp of thinking he was going to stay at the Storm. Um, but I think the end of the season, not winning a premiership, all those little things maybe added up. Um, and he's off to the Roosters. Uh, you're obviously a big fan of this because of the, the Kiwi connections in that squad. Does this make them premiership contenders straight away? I think one, you know, it's big to say that he's not playing there until next year. We've spoken about this NRL trade yeah. kind of situation and how it's very unique and maybe takes a bit of the shine off it that he'll still be running out for the storm next year. So I guess my point there is that there's a lot that can happen and we, we're not 100% sure, but I think it's going to improve the Roosters. They're going to be pretty strong this year. So if yeah. we get Brandon Smith in next year, it's going to be really interesting. And it's going to be amazing to see how he works with guys like Connor Watson, you know, who's going to be taking the utility role. And, you know, guys like Sam Walker, who's going to have another year to develop. And I think the Roosters, again, are going to be really strong. You know, they've had a bit of a lull probably the last two seasons by their standards. So it's going to be really interesting to see if they can, I guess, build this year and then have a real crack from 2023 onwards. I think it's going to be also really interesting to see, you know, what a guy like Sam Verrills does this year. Yeah. He's obviously, you know, going to be a bit on the outer from 2023, but he's got this season to really make a statement and, I guess, put himself on the market for some other clubs. I think you nailed everything on the head. I think that's exactly what will happen. I think it comes down to 
um, you know, making sure that he puts his best foot forward to try and sign somewhere else. Um, hookers are hot on the market in the NRL, so I feel like he has a good year. He may be able to sign somewhere for, you know, maybe around 400k, maybe, around that mark. Um, and I think it would be a handy addition to any team. Um, when going back to the question about them being contenders, the, the Roosters are always contenders when they've got, you know, uh, marquee signings around. Like, they've got, obviously, a strong culture there. And then you add in, you know, all-star players. Like, it's a perfect chemistry. Um, but you never know. Like, the NRL always throws curveballs. Like, we saw this year, Melbourne were our now best team in the competition. And they lost in the... They played their worst game in a prelim final. Um, so, you know can't rule that out for the Roosters I mean even when they won their last uh, premiership you know there was that you know controversy about the the final tackle the six again with the Raiders so you know luck always comes into it a little bit um, but you know they've obviously done the best thing they can do to get luck you know minimized in there with their team and their chances of winning a premiership but um, I'm excited to see Brandon Smith play somewhere else. Obviously, uh, I'm not a big Roosters fan. I'll, I'll make that clear now. Um, but, you know, I'm excited to see some good rugby league. He is, you know, one of my favorite players in the competition. Um, I just hope, you know, he has another good year at the Storm uh, with all my Queensland boys. And, uh, yeah, hopefully they lose to the Titans in the grand final. But, yeah, anything else you want to add to that? Not really. I think the other interesting thing is just going to be how he goes as as the main number nine. Obviously, yeah. with the Storm this year, he's still going to share roles with Harry Grant. And it might be interesting to see what the Storm do there. You know, yeah, they're they're probably going to be looking to keep Harry Grant now, and he's they're looking at him as their main hooker. So whether Brenda Smith sees less minutes, I think he'll still obviously be in the squad. The Storm want to win a premiership this year, but I do probably expect that he'll be coming off the bench maybe this year rather than taking that nine role so it, that's again an interesting thing but as you say we've got to wait a season so there's plenty of plenty that can happen in that time and yeah it's going to be interesting to see how he builds with the storm this year and then with the roosters next i think brandon swift will probably end up playing 13 because obviously they lost dale finucan and then asafa solomona there's been some off-field stuff with him so i think that 13 jersey's opened back up for for the cheese again um, and if I'm him, you've signed your cro- contract to be a hooker. Just play good footy and enjoy your time at the Storm Line. I know that he actually does like playing with them. Like, even in that interview, everyone's focusing on, you know, oh, he's talking about all these other clubs, but they actually missed all the times where he was, you know, blowing wind up the Melbourne Storm and how much he, like, loves, loved playing for them and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, still, you know, minimum 25 more games left with the Storm, but... They'll be playing some finals footy as well. Um, But that will do episode 30 of the Practical Podcast, the last one before Christmas. Um, So everyone have a great Christmas. Enjoy your Boxing Day test. That is going to be a ripper of a game. Predictions, what do you think? I think it's tough to see England getting a win. The the more and more I think about it, the more I think your 5-0 prediction is going to come true. Obviously, there might be a bit of rain maybe that saves England, but I think Australia will we'll get the win in the third test so do I and I'm predicting Smith chunning up both innings yeah you heard it here first that's my prediction but anyway enjoy the cricket enjoy Christmas and we'll see you after the break see ya